What if you were prosecuted for your own political beliefs, in addition to the color of your own skin, and forced to go underground for a crime you did not commit? This is the story of Angela Davis, educator, author, and political activist. Hey everybody, my name is Darnese, and this is my co-host, Donovan. And if you hear panting in the back, I apologize. I have a husky. And if you hear roosters in the back, I have that's the roosters. Donovan. So bear with us. We'll get better equipment the more and more you hang with this. So we want to let you know that we are, we did that. What does that mean? We talk about inventors, makers, and shakers, activists. It doesn't matter what you've done as long as you've done something for the community or against you it don't matter we're gonna talk about you some way somehow um and for everybody this is not everybody's podcast come to listen come to vibe come to have a good time uh we're gonna have some laugh breaks we're gonna do some dumb stuff um but we're also gonna highlight african-american people who have shaped the world that we live in today and it's important to talk about them so the first person that we're going to talk about is Angela Yvonne Davis. She was born in Birmingham, Alabama on January 26, 1944 to her mother, Sally, and, and her father, Frank Davis, both of them Davis, as well as her sister, Fania, Benny, and Reginald. So when she's young, they are in living in the era of Dynamite Hill or Bombingham. So what does that mean? We have the East Side, we have the West Side. East Side is for white people and the West Side is for the black people. Basically, they were literally bombing their houses. This happened in the mid-40s to the 60s and the KKK would burn down people's doors from time to time. And then also, police officers were involved, of course, don't lie. KKK, police, we know what it is. So... They were like shooting people's homes, and then you see like the police officers like skirting off, you know, just what a mess. And fun fact: Arthur Shores, a serious advocate uh, and lawyer for the NAACP, and what is the NAACP for the people, Donovan? It stands for National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, and they work to abolish discrimination and racism. Basically, they just want equality for all minority groups. Yes, let's talk about it. Snaps for the groups. Um, and Arthur Shores is mainly known for desegregating University of Alabama, despite the governor at the time. So he just got really famous from that. And he was one of the first and a very successful Black lawyer in um, the Alabama area. So in 1948, they moved on Center Street. And they were in a large wooden house. They were the first Black people in the West area. And they were told, don't cross that line, okay? You stay where you at, and I'm going to stay where I'm at. And they were basically the first of the invaders. That's what the palm color were saying. So at the age of four, she realized, okay, I understand now. I think. She was like, white people are always mad and mean. And they don't smile at me. And black people smile. They're a good time. They're a vibe. Yes, we are. Let's talk about it. This is nature versus nurture. You probably had like parents snatching their kids across the street um, before they pass each other, or you know, the mugging that happens. You know, just just a lot of uncomfortability. A lot. Oh, of... like the white people were doing that. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's like when they're like snatched. Or keep their purse close to them when they see, like, a black yes, person. Yes, clutch your five. purse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bitch, I should be clutching my purse, okay? Right. Because y'all love to steal things. Like land. Let's talk about it. <laughs> Indigenous people. So, um, the Montes, they were one of the people on the other side of the line, all right? And the Montes were basically the white couple on the porch with the shotguns going back and forth. Um, that's what I picture. I picture old white people... Mugging all the kids, having a good time. And basically, you're not supposed to cross that line into the east side. That's not supposed to happen. However, there was a reverend, I believe, 
um, and his family or his wife, they had crossed that line. Okay. And they were the the bears, I believe. I apologize if I butcher any names. So it's in the evening of 1949. And Angela's washing her shoelaces because she got church in the morning. And guess what? She hears like a boom clack. Okay. All the medicine in the medicine cabinet starts falling on the floor. It's a whole mess. She runs to her mom. She's like, what the hell just happened? And then everybody's outside, all the black people in the neighborhood. And they find out that the DeBears had been, their house had been bombed. I like, can't imagine if I was washing my shoelaces for God's day. For God's day. For God's day. On. And then a bomb just happens right next door. I mean, you, you have to remember Dynamite Hill. Like, and they also called it a Bombingham. Like, this was just the thing to do. You know, he's just minding his black ass business. That's all he wants to do. That's it. That's all we, that's all we, we still want to do that. And that's apparently too much to ask for. So we're fast forwarding. It's the summer before she's about to go to school at the Elizabeth Irwin High School in New York City. She's with her friend, her like best, best friend, Margaret, as well as some other kids in New York. And they're black, they're white, they're Puerto Rican. It doesn't matter. They're just having a good, they're just having a good time being kids, Um, like going to amusement parks and zoos, you know, doing kid shit. And Angela's favorite thing to do was sit in the front, okay? Remember, in the front of the bus, behind the bus driver. That was her favorite spot. So now she's come back. She she came back to Birmingham, but I don't know how she forgot how racist Birmingham was, but I I don't understand. Maybe she was having too good of a time. (laughs) So... She's with her cousin Snooky, and they're inside this bus on the way somewhere I don't know. And the first thing that she does, like, she's been in town for five seconds. And she <laughs> decides to see it right behind the bus driver. Her sister's looking at her like, I mean, her cousin looks at her like, girl, we don't do that here. You're playing like, today. You're playing with your life today. Exactly. That's unacceptable. Chill. And so... Snooki has to make up a lie, basically, to get her to come to the back. She's like, hey, girl, I'm about to go to the bathroom myself. And there's a there's a bathroom in the back. So let's just go there right now and come with me. Then Angela sits down and she's like, girl, why aren't we back here? Where's the bathroom? Exactly. And there because there's no bathroom. And she's like, right. why would you lie? Like, I had a good spot and now my seat is taken. Like, she continues to think. She's thinking that she's in New York City. Exactly. And she's just like, if only I was there, like everything would be great. Everything was great. Like, I just want to go back because she couldn't go to the Alabama, which was a movie theater in Alabama, because like, obviously it was whites only, but they had the best films. The only place that she could go to was the Carver. What is that? And the Carver and the Eighth Ave, those are movie theaters, and bitch, they were roach infested. And the and only was the... good movie you could see was Tarzan. So, that's racist. Uh, exactly. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's it's segregation. It's very much giving me racist. It is racism. Um, and that's that's how I feel, and that's what it is. So at a young age, she realized I'm not supposed to fuck with the FBI. Like that's not for me because it was the height of the McCarthy period, which is a what, Donovan? The McCarthyism period was basically a period of like intense anti-communists. So they seek out anyone who's pro-communist. Basically targets those who are a different religion, different race, or has different political beliefs. And it usually involves like unproved allegations. I mean, there were a whole bunch of black people within the Communist Party, especially like the Black Panther Party. It's just honestly an another way to get rid of black people let's talk about it so james jackson he was a family friend and he was being hunted down for being a communist and his daughter harriet was angela's friend so every single time she would hang around the jacksons they would always be followed by agents the jackson family was always followed by agents and then they started checking on angela's family and then she started being followed by agents so yeah what a mess now, Angela had this fantasy when she was younger where she would like trick I got I don't know where she was going with this and she didn't know either cuz this is in her book but she's like 
all I want to do is go trick some white people and be like, I'm going to cover and then take off a mask and be like, surprise. I'm black. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know where you're just going with this. I guess you want to like wear a mask and be like, see, we're uh-huh, you same. can't see us the same. Exactly. Exactly. So I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know. But so her and her sister came up with a plan to do something similar to this. They uh, go pretend like they're from France. And she's like, she's supposed to like not know any English. And her sister's supposed to have broken English. And she's supposed to translate. So they get into the store on, on 19th Street, the shoe store. And they pretend to be French. And basically, first of all, all the white people are looking like, what are these black people doing in here? Because they know good and damn well they're not supposed to be in this motherfucker. They know they're not supposed to be here, you know? And so... um. Then they start doing the French routine. They're starting to get good treatment. And everybody's like doing the oohs and ahs, you know, because they're still of color, but they're not from here. So, wow, that's important. Okay. Even though they're still black, let's talk about it. So then Angela starts to laugh in their faces and everybody's uncomfortably laughing at the same time, most likely. And they're like, so what are we, what are we laughing at? And... She was like, all black people have to do is pretend they come from another country and you treat us like dignitaries. And then just walked off. Excuse me, did her mama know? Right. I'm like, I'm like, I got an ass whipping. Let me tell you. Like, and it she was like a little kid. She could have like got killed. Exactly. And then on top of that, I found it in her book. And for everybody who's this part of the podcast, I should let you know that all of the information that we have will be in our show notes below. And I'll remember, I'll say it again as well later. If you want to check in on her, on the information that we're getting. So she also did some baby stuff when she was younger and she would be like in the front of her house and she was like with a group of other black kids and they would like, be like, you cracker ass crackers. <gasps> like, yes, girl. <laughs> yes. To the white people that were walking by and they would be. Oh, they, she did that? Yes. Oh, every right to. She has every right. I mean, every right to, but that's a, like. That's ballsy. You could have lost exactly. You could have lost your life multiple mm-hmm. times, sis. Multiple times. Especially they didn't care about kids. They didn't care about you. Your black ass. Come on now. <laughs> but I was like, did her mother know? That's crazy. My mama would have whooped my ass. Let me tell you. It's September 1961. She's at Brandis University. She just enrolled. She's looking around. Where the people at? Where the black people at? Mm. Ain't none there. Okay. There are two other black girls but what is that it's very much giving me affirmative action we're trying not really we're doing the bare minimum we need three black women so here are three black women (laughs) exactly exactly and it's not like new york it's very isolated no no near roads there's like what can you do where can you go and she only had really one friend that was alice who was there but that's that's not a lot. That's not Margaret. That's not her friends back in New York. It's not family. It's not it's not what it should be. So it's September 1963. She's in an interview and she said she was in Paris during this time. And I believe she was probably studying abroad, maybe. This is after class and she's with some friends. She just picked up the Herald Tribune and she sees the Birmingham church bombings just happen. And she is devastated, okay? My girl's crushed. Especially because one of those girls was her best friend. Well, not her best friend. Excuse me. Her sister's best friend. So she was always over the house. And they like, grew up together. Exactly. Exactly. And the four girls, their names were Cynthia Wesley, Addie Mae Collins, Denise McNair, and Carol Denise McNair. Oh, shit. They were brothers. I mean, sisters. Bitch, don't play. Did you say brothers first? <laughs> I did. <laughs> But like, yes, I do. That just hit me right now. That just hit me right now. Oh gosh, um, imagine being their parents. Not one, but two. Oh, my heart. Um, so I don't remember which one was her sister's best friend. I believe Carol. I'm not sure, but I do remember that one of the girls' mothers came up to. Angela's mom and she was like during the bombing she's like I gotta go to the church can you drive me there 
And that's when the mother had found out about everything that happened because you have to understand. Oh, she didn't even know. Exactly. She didn't know. It's, oh, my God. Communication isn't what it is today. You know, it's not the same at all. And then she figures out what happened. And it's just, and I heard that there were body parts everywhere and blood <gasps> scattered. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my heart, that really That's hurt. Sad. Exactly. Poor exactly. little girls. Exactly. And during this time, Angela's around some people that really don't understand the rage and the hatred that Birmingham, Alabama has for Black people and other people of color, I'm assuming, but mainly Black people. Um, and they're very much giving her hallmark responses, very much, oh, I'm sorry for your loss. Get well I'm soon. Sorry that this happened. <laughs> yeah, get well soon. I Basically, Basically, yeah. You know, but she is, she had to go. She had to get out of that company. But then she remembers, you know, this is Dynamite Hill. This is not the first time this has happened. You know, this is a regular occurrence. So it's November 1963. And she's back in Paris, France. I'm assuming that she went back and forth from Brandeis University to Paris. And she's assigned to the Lumiere's. And it's the Kennedy assassination. Um, And so everybody in France had went to the embassy and this was basically the Bay of Pigs was an undercover invasion ran by the U.S., which failed, of the southwest coast of Cuba in 1961 by Cuban exiles. Look at the government puppeteering in another country. Mind your business. The U.S. just does not know how to mind their own business. I'll tell you that. White people just stay in everybody. Oh, damn. Yeah, they really do be in everybody business. Yeah. That's so true. It's her first semester of her senior year, and she wanted to study philosophy, but she didn't have the prereqs to go to class. But she went anyway. Let's talk about it. Showed up anyway. So I said, I'm present. Okay, I don't care. No credits needed. I'm popping up. And then following that, she went to study under Marcuse, I believe, in Germany in Frankfurt. Now, it's the summer before she's supposed to teach at UCLA. She got a job interview or a job offer, excuse me, from another prestigious school. But she was like, nah, I don't want it. So she went to UCLA. And I believe that there was a base for a Black Panther Party nearby. So she was like, yes, comfortability. And number two, I believe there was also a relatively large Communist Party around there as well. Stay close to who you know. So Angela is in Cuba during this time, and there is a man named Bill DeVale, Bill Devine. I really don't know, and I don't care. And he's a former DuPois club member, and basically all he does is snitch. So he sends, and he's working with the FBI, by the way. He sends a letter to the Tribune saying they're about to hire, UCLA is about to hire someone in the Communist Party. And Governor Reagan is like, uh-uh, we're not having none of that. I don't want none of that. Not none of it. So he puts a little pressure on the University of California board. And he's like, you you got to do something to get rid of her. So she's initially fired and then she's back. And it's a whole lot, a whole lot. Of, but basically, she does start to teach because the philosophy department wants someone who pushes the issue and is, a, you know, going to go above the norm. That's what you do. So... The BSU put out a whole bunch of flyers. They put a whole bunch of flyers all out of campus. And 2,000 people came to her first class, okay? But here's the gag. There's no credit, though. So, and then on top of that, because of who she was, and she was known for being within the Communist Party, okay, they had 24-7 service for her. She had to go... Every single place she went on campus, she had the campus security. But when she got to the edge of that campus, they said, girl, good luck. You on your own. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So then after that, she had to get, you know, security because she was fearful of her life. So she has her own security service and she hires this kid named Jonathan Jackson. He's 17 and he started doing security for her. So he came to Moran County with Angela's guns on August 9th, 1970. She had registered these, purchased these guns recently, I believe two days prior, okay, which makes it look really bad. He comes in the jail and he arms 
the inmates that were awaiting their trial. And basically there's an uproar within the courthouse and he takes two of the jurors outside as well as the judge and they all go into the truck and they're like ready to skirt off, okay? Because he came there to actually free his brother, George, one of the Soldad brothers. And who are the Soldad brothers? There are three African-American men and they were falsely accused of murdering a white prison guard. And this all starts back on January 13th, 1970, when a group of prisoners were released into the rec yard. And mind you, no guards were with them in the yard. And that's like, I already sucked. Yep, yep. I mean, come on now. You know, everybody knew about Bobby Hutton. And what happened to him? So, I mean, they told him literally. They told him to run. He tried to he tried to let go of himself peacefully, but you know it's a whole mess, it's a whole lot, a whole lot of it. Continue, friend. I'm gonna talk about him later. There was one guard on top, armed with a rifle on the guard tower. He is known for being like experienced and really good with guns. Mm-hmm. So what happened? So what happened? Okay, so according to the authorities. A fight between the prisoners and the yard broke out, and then the guard who was on the guard tower started to open fire. But no, like, warning shots were given, no alarm sound, not even a, hey, stop that. I feel like he was in one of those, I wish somebody would type of moves. You know? He was yeah, just he was really, waiting for it. Really on the edge, yes. When one of the guys were just, like, boxing it with the punch bag in the wreck. Minding his, like, mind yeah, mind his business. Yeah, minding his business, working out. He noticed that the guard up there was pointing his gun at him already. Like, See, pointing at him. He just wanted a chance to exactly. take some people out. Exactly. He just he just wanted a chance. He was yep. just waiting, you know, racism. I don't know who that other guy was, but, like, I'm assuming that they were a person of color. They were. Course, they were. Per usual. You already know. Talk about it. <laughs> so then, yeah, the open fire resulted with three black men dying and one white man got injured. So the grand jury and the DA ruled it as a justified homicide. Mm. Mm-hmm. And when this verdict got aired on television, this is just three days later and they're ready to have a verdict. I'm like, okay, where was the investigation? Where was right. everything? Guilty. Right. I mean, come on now. I'm assuming that the jury was filled with white people, mainly like older, racist, oh. <laughs> male. Yes, mm-hmm. of course. So what do you expect? What do you expect? So after it got aired on television, a guard was found dead in the wide wing of the prison. And since he was found dead, there was eight days of interrogation. They claimed they had found the guilty party. And it was George Jackson, Felicia Drumgo, and John Cluchette. And those three Black men are known as the Soda Brothers. Because it happened in sold that prison. Yeah. The white guard killed three black prisoners and he got exonerated with all his charges. The three black men who were accused of killing the white prison guard, they were draping chains to court and they faced a death penalty. And I think that's sad. I mean, at this moment in time, I don't see I, I don't see anything out of the usual during this time period. Right. It's still and the same I now. Mean, it's still <laughs> happening. Exactly. It's still the same. So um, can I say that I'm shocked? Can I say that I'm surprised? No, I can't. But I can tell you that going back to the Marin County, Jonathan had came in to free his brother, George. Basically, he was like, I'm here to free my brother. Give him to me but he didn't know that George had already been sent to San Quentin. So he had came there for no reason. And like I said, he took the judge and he also took two um, jurors with him. But his brother wasn't even there? No, his brother wasn't even there. His brother oh, wasn't man. There. So he, yes, like he was like, free my brother. And then he, no, he's not even there. That sucks. So it said that the police were the first one to open fire. They shot everybody dead that was in the car as they were trying to get away because they were basically were not letting anyone get away the thing is too there were so you had the inmates that were given weapons because they were like oh yeah bet thank you i'm getting out of here (laughs) they're dead (laughs) jonathan dead as well as the judge because they said no one's going to escape it's better to just get rid of them than let one inmate escape 
it's in the era of I wish somebody would. You know, it it, it that's all I'm gonna say there. And then also racism. The end. <laughs> and like I said, Angela had bought the guns two days prior to this event. And then when she found out, her friend Helen came up to her and she was like, Yeah, girl, you gotta go undercover. You gotta go undercover now. So she goes to Helen's house and she stays behind the curtains all night, well, all day to the night. And she already knew that Helen wasn't involved in any political parties, but she was always helping and just always in the mix. So she already knew that the FBI or somebody was going to basically interrogate her and try to figure out where Angela was. So she needed to go. Her next place was to go to Hattie's house. And she got really close to Hattie. She had been there for such a long time. And it was a nice place to be. She sent a message to her friend because it was ready for her to move again. Something had ha happened, everything's shaking, and she needs to go. So she sent a cryptic message to her friend and basically said, hey, we're supposed to meet at this airport. And they misread the cryptic message and thought they were supposed to meet at their house. It's October 13th, 1970. She's back in New York. She's underground. And she's with that friend with the cryptic message. I believe his name is... Jonathan, I believe. So everybody that they know over there is under surveillance and Cash is running low. They've been staying in this motel and she's like, you know what? I just need to get out. I need to get some fresh air. So they go to the movies. They went to the movies till six and then they stayed there for a little bit. And then they're starting to walk back to the motel that they were staying at. And Angela is feeling like every single white man in a suit is staring at her. She's seeing a whole bunch of cops and she's getting extremely paranoid. So she finally makes it to the motel and they make it in the lobby. And she's like, yes, girl, I made it. And she's just thinking like, okay, maybe I'm just really paranoid right now. Like how I was when I first went undercover in Birmingham. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe I just need to get over it. Nope. She sees this chubby white dude with a red face and a like super militant like buzz cut basically. And he pops in the elevator with her and her friend. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. And she's like, yep, this is it. And I know it. And I know this is it. She knows this is it. It's like so, a movie. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The suspense. Seriously. Because he's like in the elevator with her. She feels it. It's happening. She go oh, So, like I said, the elevator door is open. She's at the other side of the corridor. As she's opening her door, they snatch her out, girl. They snatch her out. And they're like. Are you Angela Davis? Are you Angela Davis? Are you Angela Davis? They snatch her out of her room. And as she's trying to get in, and they snatch her wig off. Like, how disrespectful. Hey, unnecessary. Right. Unnecessary <laughs> roughness. Mm -hmm. How are you going to snatch somebody's wig off like that, though? Hella rude. Exactly. But I guess her hair was pressed underneath to, like, keep everything down. Because she's definitely known for her big fro. And she didn't, speak, she didn't speak. She didn't say anything. When they took her undercover, she was like... Um, I want my lawyer, okay? And they kept asking her, are you Angela Davis? Are you Angela Davis? Are you Angela Davis? And she, like I said, she didn't say anything to them. They're in the, and she's in the interrogation room. And the only thing she said was to this man who had asked her, or this agent who had asked her, do you want a cig or a cigarette? And she's like, not from you. Okay, come on, Miss Attitude, give it to him. Right, not from you. Not because they snatched it was a cop? her wig off. She's still fresh. <laughs> How dare you? And then, you know, obviously, like I said, she wanted her lawyer. She's told that her lawyer is supposed to be General Leftcourt. He represented 21 members of the Black Panther Party on the conspiracy to bomb several sites in New York City. So, again, 21 members, and they're spread out in seven different jails, and they're all in solitary confinement. How can you work like that? How can you work like that? On top of that, they had 156 charges, and they were all exonerated, by the way. Okay? Come on. Successful. So, she's she's going to jail. This is going to jail. But as she's on her way to the house of detention in Greenwich, because she was caught in New York City, she sees her high school, and she's like, oh, my gosh. I, I used to walk past this jail. I used to. Wow. And now I'm about to be in. I used to walk right, now she's in every day. Yeah, I used to walk as this every day. And the thing is, the way the prison was built, when you're in there, it's really easy to talk to people on the street. 
So she would like hear everybody's like inaudible voices and she'd be like, okay, whatever. And you know, keep it pushing, but that's crazy. Like, girl, I used to go there. I used to do this. And now I'm going to jail. Well, damn. So when she was in the FBI holding room, everything was like actually kind of nice. Like, okay, the FBI office is nice. Let's talk about it. But the house of detention. It was dusty and it was musty. Let me say that. And she barely seen any white people. I'm going to say she saw at least one white person that was in the solitary area where she was at in Fort Beat, but there were mainly black and Puerto Ricans. So she's set in solitary confinement and she's in Fort Beat and most likely for her safety. So she's in her, her cell, right? And she sees a poster and it's the FBI most wanted poster of herself. And then the guard like looks at her and she like snatches it down. And then right behind it, she sees Kathy Budin's um wanted poster. And she went to the same high school as sis. What did Kathy do? How'd she get on the FBI most wanted, Donovan? How'd she get there? Kathy, she robbed a armed Brinks vehicle at the mall. She was at the 30... mall. Yeah, at the mall. They were at the <laughs> mall. And the girl, mall. let me tell you, right before she did this she decided to drop off her baby with a babysitter. You have to be some type of methodical to do some shit like that. Like, hold on, girl. I gotta drop my baby off real quick. Right! It's like, okay, baby, I'll see you later. Mama's gonna go commit a crime. Kathy had killed two cops and a security guard, and she also injured another security guard. So, Angela's in her cell, and she's like, okay, girl, I've been here a little too long. I'm in this 4B area, and it's actually for people, like, mainly to be sedated and to make sure that they're safe and don't harm themselves. So they're on drugs most of the time. And she's like, girl, I can't be here. I can't. But when she is in the solitary area, she does find this really nice guard, this black lady who comes in and brings her stuff. She's like, can I get a, can I get a black coffee? And she's like, I'll see what I can do basically. And she came back and like helped her out. And she was really nice and inviting because basically, there was another girl in another cell who was like, we are all on your side, girl. We are all on your side. Come on, let's talk about it. There was a heading on the newspaper during the time that said Angela Davis was captured in New York. And John Ab- Abbott and Margaret, her friend from back home in Birmingham, they came right away. They were like, girl, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. And so back in August, she was charged with murder kidnapping and conspiracy angela was charged with that yeah so first of all when she first got to jail she had this other dude and she was like yeah you can be my lawyer until john abbott and margaret get here um back in august in marin county everything that had happened with jonathan trying to free his brother george actually angela was charged with that she was also charged with something else as well because she went underground, she was charged with murder, kidnapping, and conspiracy. So she's inside the FBI's hands, and they're like, girl, you are exonerated from everything. Go ahead and be free. And she's like, what do you mean? Okay, yes. And then right after that, the NYC, <laughs> the, their precinct, they put their cuffs right on her. Oh, no. Surprise, you yes. thought. Surprise, <laughs> motherfucker, let me tell you, you going to jail. So like I said, she's going to the House of D, the House of Detention, and that's where she goes. She's in solitary confinement. She can't really go outside. She can't do anything. She's in block 4B. And that's for people to be like kind of sedated. Like you're harming yourself and they need you to chill out or you're too aggressive. And she was also in there for her safety as well, for being a communist. Let's talk about it. Everybody was out for her. Exactly. But the problem is she didn't really like solitary confinement because like I said, you can't have any books, no pens, no papers, none of that. What are you supposed to do? stare at the wall the little bit of light that you do have you know what i mean so it's it's not it it's not it and you can't wear any of your outside clothes or any type of regular clothes you have to wear their green gown that they give you as well as some slippers that they give you and if you're 16 to 60 it does not matter you're going in there and everything and anything that you need if you need toilet paper gotta ask if you need to brush your teeth, you got to ask. And you can't come out of your cell unless there are two guards present. 
So they're not always two guards. That was a problem. So she decided to start advocating and organizing while she was in there. And also being super annoying because she was like, every five minutes, basically, because she was undercover, she was chain smoking like a motherfucker, let me tell you. Angela? Yes. Who's she getting these cigarettes from? (laughs) Exposed. But basically, she had, and again, this is from an interview, she was like, I'm so happy that they caught me because... In all honesty, I probably would have had a heart attack at some point because she was so paranoid all the time. But I understand where she's coming from because she said that every single white man in a suit, she was like, that's the FBI. I know it. Girl, she could be doing anything either. I get why she'd be paranoid. I mean, come on. Like, it's just, why would you not? Why yeah. would you not go underground? Because you're Black in America. And then, again, with Bobby Hutton, who decided to turn himself in from the Black Panther Party. Yeah, what happened to him? He got shot. They told him to run, and then they shot him. Most likely, they wanted him to run. But they gave excuse. Exactly. He was running away. He was, it's his fault. No, they shot him in the back. Come on, be better. But like I said, she was calling him every five minutes, like, I need a cigarette, I need this, I need that, because she didn't want to be in there also. Solitary confinement is not for Ms. Davis. No. When also, when she was in there, she became a vegetarian because the meat apparently had maggots in it, okay? <laughs> yes, maggots. So she was like, no, not for me. I don't believe in that. And she had told them that she didn't eat meat. And then when she came out, you know, a jail or whatever, later on in life, she was like, oh, you know, I'm going to eat some meat. I'm out in the streets. Right, you know? she eat me ribs, she eating good. <laughs> no, but she can't. Her stomach was like, no, girl, you can't just flip it like that. And then she later on become became a vegan. I mean, good for her. It's December 21st, 1970. And everybody's outside shouting and shouting and shouting. They're like, free Angela Davis. They're doing chants. One, two, three, four. The House of D has got to go. Free our sisters. Free ourselves. Let's talk about it. Everybody's like, free Angela Davis. Free Angela Davis. And Angela's like, okay, cool. Thank you. Appreciate it. But I'm also, because she advocated and organized to get out of the solitary confinement cell. Now she's in a corridor with other females and she's like, you know what? I'm going to also shout their names out. Number one, to recognize it. But number two, yeah, they were shouting her name a little too much. She was like, y'all need to calm down. I appreciate it. Don't overdo it. Right. They're going to get her killed. Exactly. exactly. So she's like, you know, I, ooh, chill a little bit. And this was all organized by the bail Fun Coalition and the New York Committee to Free Angela Davis. Now, on this date, the Supreme Court in Washington had just denied her appeal and she would be extradited to California. So I believe that she wanted to stay in New York. I have no idea. Um, but it's 3 a.m. and she's told that her lawyer was downstairs. So she's thinking, all right, it's 3 a.m. I knew I was going to get extradited, but like I didn't know it was going to be that fast. All right, cool. So she told her lawyers downstairs, like I said, and she's like, maybe they're going to go over my rights before the extradition. Maybe they're just going to talk to me and then I'll go from there. Because he had been at the court all day, John at the time, who was representing her. And she's like, it is what it is. As everybody's chanting, there's one person on the adolescent side of the corridor who's like, Free Angela Davis, free Angela Davis, just all up in it. She's all up in it. And one of the guards tells her to be quiet, and she's not being quiet. He starts to beat her black and blue, and then starts to drag her down to the 4B corridor. And then also, the captain came, and she was like, y'all need to be quiet. And they're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And the more the captain kept coming at them, the less confident she was becoming and the more militant they were becoming. They were like, no, sis, you're not going to come over here and tell me what you're, what you want me to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to mind my black ass business. And I, I prefer that you mind yours somewhere else. So she left. She left. Okay. They keep going. They keep going. They keep going. But as this girl's being dragged to the other side, Angela, like I said before, because the way the prison was built, you can talk to people on the outside. She sees this sympathetic white couple outside and she's like, tell everybody what's happening. This girl just got dragged from the opposite side. Tell the left, tell the journalist, tell the, tell the news crew, tell everybody. So that same night, 
It's 3 a.m. And she's woken up with a flashlight on her face. And she's told that she needs to meet her lawyer downstairs. So she's brought downstairs. And it's weird because there's a whole bunch of people in their nice, like, Sunday best type of dress clothes. And nobody's in uniform. So she sees two guards probably at the front of the door, the librarian there, and the secretary. And again, they're all in street clothes. It's very odd. Oh my God. Sounds like a setup. Exactly. Exactly. There's no lawyer. There's no th- no nothing. But they're telling her that they're going to strip search her. And she's like, girl, you're not touching me. I came down here to talk to my lawyer. So where's my lawyer? You're not touching me. No, ma'am. And she's threatened and threatened and threatened and threatened. And she's like, you're not searching me. I don't want it. As she's sitting down, she remembers the girls upstairs talking about the riot police and how they come in as a last resort type of thing. And she sees two male guards behind her. Now, mind you, they, there hasn't been not a single male guard that she's seen since she's been at the house of detention. And now they're behind her, sneaking up behind her while she's sitting down. No, ma'am. So she gets up. She's ready. She's ready to fight. And then they come at her. She kicks one of them and they bring her to the ground. And then they start whooping her ass. And they start whooping her ass so badly that some of the guards had to come in and help out. And now everybody's just fighting. Everybody's fighting. It's a free-for-all. And they just keep going and keep going and keep going. And <laughs> then everything kind of slows down. And the secretary and or the librarian, I don't remember, helps her get her items from um, the front desk so she can get all of her belongings for her extradition. Because basically that's what was happening. They wanted to rough her up or get some information out of her, do some type of scare tactics, but she was also supposed to be extradited that night. And the white couple that she saw before, when she told them to tell everybody, they actually did. So they stayed up all that night and telling a whole bunch of news people and just spreading the word about what was going down at the house of detention. And we know this because as she was being extradited out of the jail cell or out of the jail, there were crowds of people shouting and protesting to free Angela. And so that's over with. She's on her way and she's like, all right, cool. I can't really move because if I make a move, y'all are ready to shoot me dead. So she's sitting down uh, with her skirt or whatever. And she just tried to fix it because it's a little cold, it's a little chilly. It's December and she's wearing a skirt. She should have rethought, you know, her outfit choices. But how was she supposed to know when she was going to get released in December? How? Hmm. So she just shifts over just a little bit to fix her fix her skirt. And then the guard is like ready to shoot her for real. Oh, no. He's ready to take her down. And so she finally gets up the gumption. And she's like, are we going to drive all the way to California? Because they have been in the car for like a really long time. And the guard tells her that she's at the New Jersey air base. And then she's flown into California. So let's talk about it. Not only does she have two general attorneys from California and New York, she also has FBI agents wanting her, armed guards wanting her. And then she also has people pointing guns at her as she's coming out of the the vehicle being extradited, going into the plane. Like everybody's pointing at guns at her. Like it's very giving uncomfortable to me. I mean, all of that for one colored woman. Exactly. Look Look how afraid they are of what they cannot control, I tell you. So she had the same charges in California, but she also had another charge that was given to her for fleeing as well. So there were a whole bunch of things that happened during her trial and a whole bunch of people that worked on it. So her friend Kendra Alexandra, Alexander, excuse me, sorry about that, Kendra, she had told her how important it is for eyewitness accounts. So there are a whole bunch of like, standout things that happened in in the courtroom and one of the most important parts is there was a white juror who was asked to point out who angela davis was and who did she point out instead of angela she pointed out kendra okay so if you just are going to tell me that any black woman can be angela davis that's a problem ma'am that's a problem there were like i said there were multiple people who worked on her case um Franklin, who had been with her, I believe that was Helen's husband, I believe, as well as her sister, Fania. And there was another big standout moment. Leo Brandon, one of her Black lawyers, let everybody know something that was really important. His quote was, be Black for a minute. 
you have to understand why would she go underground when she knows you already don't like her let's talk about it. first of all again Bobby Hutton during this time got gunned down because he was peaceful. He decided to turn himself in and then got killed. She wasn't trying to, she was not trying to lose her life over something that she really did not do. Of course, she's going to go underground. That was the thing to do. And on top of being communist, you know what I mean? I'm like, if people are already out to get you and now you're looking sus. It's just a mess. Now, when Angela first got booked, right? This was at the House of D. The first person there was Margaret. And this was her family friend from way back in the day. And she was a practicing lawyer. So she had represented her as much as she could, as well as Leo and John. And all Black, let's talk about it. She was incarcerated for a total of 16 months. She was also released on bail and then acquitted in 1972. When she was acquitted, basically her mom was like, girl, I can't go. I don't want to go. I can't do it. You know, oh, mom. Yeah, yeah. Her mom didn't want to come. Her mom was like, I can't. I can't see my baby like that. But Margaret was like, you have to go. You have to go. Because it could be the last time she sees it. Exactly, exactly. So, like, as they're in the courtroom and they're Wait, so did she go? Yeah, of course. So she, but she came. I I don't think she was there for the initial acquittal when they said everything, when the jury said everything. I think she came, like, right after. Okay. But don't quote me on that. That, that's a good question. Go ahead and hold on to that. <laughs> <laughs> so she finally she finally does go, all right. But as the jury is coming in, right, before we get the verdict and everything, Margaret was calm. She was composed. Everything was great, okay? But not really because she lost her shit when the jury came in. She, like, like threw her hands up in the air. And she just lost it when they came in. And then they had told everyone that she had been acquitted and Franklin who also had like I said worked on her case started crying this grown ass man was crying in the courtroom you know it was sad and Margaret had been her lawyer for up to two years and she had even moved to California to represent Angela but the problem was is her son had cerebral palsy so it was really hard for her to continue to like help her out in the case so like there was a lot of people working on it and helping her so that night she got acquitted there was a fat ass party, okay? The jury wanted to come. They was like, can I get us? You know, they wanted to come to the barbecue. They wanted to play. They were like, can I come? And she even became good friends with one of the people like years later. And their name is Mary Timothy. But at the same time, Angela is a doer. So the next day, she's like, we have to organize. We have to get it together. Because those people in jail, those women in jail, especially because she got a first hand at it, have no resources. Yes, there was a national committee to free Angela, but she needed it to help other people that didn't have any access to anything. So she changed her committee to the National Committee to Free Angela Davis and all political prisoners. And she also had a national alliance against racists and political repression. It's very important to state that in August 21st, 1971, George... One of the Soldad brothers had been gunned down in San Quentin. Now, she didn't have any time to grieve. And of course, a year before that, like literally almost exact day, Jonathan had been killed as well. In September 1971, Angela also used her cause to help out the Attica brothers because of the Attica Rebellion. Can you tell them about what the Attica Rebellion is, Donovan? So the Alaga Rebellion started when there was a riot to protest the inhumane living conditions in the Alaga prison. So eventually the riot led to the prisoners overtaking the prison. Let's talk about that. Prisoners just overtook the guards. I mean, but here's the thing. This is why division is very important. Let's just say that. Because as soon as all those people start to come together, if they did, I wasn't there. Everything is alleged. But, it, you know, obviously... When they came together, something happened. And if we come together, something happens. That's why division is so important to the palm. And the palm is the color of my palm, which is quite just saying. I want to say people in power, the capitalists in power. I don't want to really say a specific race because there's people in power that oppress people. Um, Yes, let me say that. 
So eventually, the prisoners are taking over control of the prison. They organize a negotiating team, and that team's called the Attica Brothers. And this team included representatives from the Black Panther Party, members of the Nation of Islam, and the organization Young Lords, who represented the Puerto Rican community. And the Attica Brothers, they came up with 31 demands, and only 28 of them were approved. So at the end of this... You know, there was 10 hostages who died and 29 prisoners who was killed by oh police gunfire. By police gunfire. I believe it. I don't, right. I can't be shocked. I can't be shocked. And some of the demands so basic, like provide adequate food, water, and shelter for all inmates. And that's why committees like Angela Davis's are so important because who's supposed to represent someone who has no access to anything? Let's talk about right. even education. Like these people were fed into the prison system. But that's another story. They were just asking for the bare minimum. That's all they ever want. That's all they ever wanted. Like, obviously, like, I want to say probably most of them probably didn't even do it. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. If you're Black, you're already guilty. Let's talk, let's just say that during this time. You know, you just look guilty because of the color of your skin. That's not fair. Your money is what it is. Guilty. Exactly. So, Reagan had said, or vowed, excuse me. Oh, okay, vowed. He vowed, (laughs) vowed, that Angela would never again teach in the University of California system. Now, currently, she is a distinguished professor of the emeriti at UC Santa Cruz, okay? Here she is teaching again. Yes, about the prison theory process, okay? And as well as touring nationally and internationally with the books and writing books, as well as organizing for the unseen and the invisible. All references in the description or the show notes are going to have all of Angela's books, as well as all all of the references that we use today. And I just want to thank you guys for listening to our first episode. Yeah, Yeah, it was so fun. Yeah. I hope you guys liked it. Now, if you want to follow us and you really liked us or you didn't and you still want to follow us, you can find us on Twitter with the handle name. We did that pod. On IG with the handle. We did that podcast. And you can email us at we did that podcast at gmail.com. We have a website. We do have a website. Thank you, guys. I hope to see you again. I hope that you listen again. <laughs> Bye.